streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You don't want to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Good morning and welcome into the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. I'm National Recruiting Analyst Cooper Patekna alongside 24-7 Sports Director of Scouting Andrew Ivins. It is week four of college football, September 26th, Tuesday morning here in Nashville, 9 a.m., 9.04 to be exact. Drew, we got a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about a little bit about Colorado, Oregon, Cormani McLean, Deion Sanders, Dan Lanning. What an action-packed week of football we had. LSU, Arkansas going into the teeth of it. Penn State getting a convincing win over Iowa, shutting them out. A lot to talk about, a lot of recruiting to talk about. We'll do our teams of the week. We'll do our freshmen of the week. And then we'll get into a little bit of the commitment rundown and uh, recap a lot of what's been happening in the college football world and the recruiting world as well. Drew? It's good to see you, man. Another week, another another day, another dollar back at it. College football week four. It's we're uh, what like a third of the way through now. Quarter of the season, right? No, quarter of the season. I don't know. We're bad at math, obviously. Okay. If that's one thing that we've shown, what are we, a third or a fourth? One of them. One of them. How one was them. uh? How was the uh? Country con concert pilgrimage festival. Pilgr okay, that's I, right. I, I'm so mainstream. We just showed up for, uh, we just showed up for the headliners, you know. Which I got to be honest, I didn't think that the uh, the secondary market in terms of uh, outside of the headliners didn't think it was a strong group. But we had the Lumineers on Saturday night, Zach Bryan on Sunday night. I just got into the Zach Bryan of like era, like I've been at it for two months. That dude, he can put on a show. You listen to him at all? I mean, I I think I've been to maybe one or two of his concerts. Not not really sure. Maybe I don't remember it. <laughs> Are you thinking about Zach Brown or Zach Bryan? I don't I don't know, Coop. I mean, we'll they do a up. they do a big uh, country fest in Fort Lauderdale every year, but <laughs> it's kind of like an avoid at all costs. Just with like getting over to the beach. But I'm glad you had a good weekend. You weren't on the desk. So did you watch much football? Like, are we on the phone? During the Lumineers concert, I had uh, had the iPhone up watching the LSU-Arkansas game. And I got to be honest, man, like I was expecting to enjoy the concert, not have to look at my phone every minute, minute and a half to see Arkansas and Luke has going down the field and uh, have that just being a game. So no, it was good, man. I got to I got to watch a little football. I got to watch Clemson, Florida State beginning of the day. Outside of that, I didn't really – I still need to catch up on Notre Dame-Ohio State. And then the Oregon-Colorado game, uh, I think I got through about three-quarters of it. And then by that time, it was it was time to go. That's so, all you needed. That's all I needed. So, hey, let's let's start there. I kind of want to start with Cormani McLean. It was an interesting conversation we had 
on the 24-7 Sports uh, football recruiting show yesterday. You can check that out on, on YouTube with Emily Proud and, and Smoke Dixon. Uh, our new colleague was on there. If you don't know anything about Smoke, he used to work in the NFL, worked at Maryland, and we we're kind of talking about character. What goes into the character process? What goes into measuring intangibles? And if you know anything about Colorado this year, Travis Hunter's out for a couple of weeks. He's got a lacerated liver. That secondary is very susceptible. Cormani McLean was the number one ranked cornerback in the class of 2023. If there's anybody that knows him very much in depth in terms of the player and followed him throughout his career, it's Andrew, which is why I really wanted to kind of talk about this from a one, why do we think he's not playing? And two, you know, what to make of that from a character evaluation standpoint. But I thought it was a it was a fascinating conversation because Coach Prime had a press conference where he was asked within the last week, why isn't Cormani McLean playing and what is holding him back? And he simply said, he's holding himself back. So Drew, the first thing I think is there's a lack of trust. I don't know if that's the right word, but there's a lack of, I would say, buy-in from Cormani McLean that seems very obvious, right? And Deion Sanders is just not going to say, here you go. Even though it makes sense for you to play right now, even though we need you to play right now, I'm going to hold you to a higher standard because you're not doing the things that you need to do from Sunday to Friday that make me trust you to put you out there on the field. And the other thing that Smoke Dixon brought up, Cormani McLean's played 14 snaps. One of those snaps that he played on Saturday was that fake punt. Which you could go back, listen, I'm not the X's and O's guys, but in terms of assignment football, Cormani McLean was involved in that play. Big play, right? At that game, Dan Lanning, that was, I mean, that was pretty much him saying, I'm going for the kill shot here in the in the second quarter. That being said, Andrew, I think it's interesting because you you zoom out, you look at Cormani McLean. The recruitment was wild. And correct me if I'm wrong at any stage here. Alabama, I believe, backed off right late in the process. He no-shows Miami's entire coaching staff that goes to visit him at his school. He's off to Colorado. The commitment was pushed back. We don't know where it is. It's like, I said it yesterday, recruits tell you who, you, who they are. You just have to listen to them. Here's the other thing I'm going to say. Cormani McLean's, what, 18 years old? He's four games into his collegiate career, and we talked about it last week. There's a lot of people who say, hey, they're, they're ready to do their end zone dance. Well, we had him ranked here. Other services had him ranked here. There's a lot of things that need to happen for Cormani McLean that I think a lot of it has pretty much nothing to do with ability. And he is in a foreign environment in Boulder, Colorado, where for the first time in his life, he is being challenged to step up and step into a role where he's going to have to grow and mature into that. We've seen the same thing with Denver Harris at LSU. It has happened. But guess what? All offseason, a little bit of a headache. They had to sit him the first week of the season against Florida State. A little bit of a headache. Now he's out there playing. I think, I think these are growing pains for Cormani McLean. 
And that's just all I'm, I'm I'm reading into it at the end of the day. And you know what? To me, Drew, and here's the other thing. It's a football character thing, right? That's what it's about. Habits, standards, how you go about your business at the end of the day. But I don't know. I, I'm interested to kind of, one, the other thing is, if I were to tell you this six months ago that this was happening, Andrew Ivins, I know you would not be surprised by anything that has transpired in Boulder. No, I'm not. <laughs> well, I guess I'd be surprised because, like, from a depth standpoint, I think you'd want him on the field. But, Coop, you always bring up the recruit kind of tells you who they are throughout the process. And I think that is crystal clear with Cormani McLean. You said growing pains, right? That was the term you used. The last line in my scouting report is could experience some initial growing pains, but freakish traits are worth molding for the long haul. I think the football IQ, the football character was kind of the big talking point behind the scenes for us. And you are leaving out so many different details. I mean, I know it's it's a it's a it's a rap sheet of how that whole recruitment played out, but let's not forget the initial commitment on CBS Sports HQ when I was there in Lakeland. I mean, Florida thought he was coming. And then the next thing you know, not after he showed up late to his announcement, he picked Miami. Um, and he didn't even do it with the cameras rolling. So that was one thing. Fast forward to the Under Armour All America game, like he didn't even really participate in practices. It was like, does this guy want to be here? Because I get the sense that he doesn't really want to be there. And I don't know if this is a product of just where we are now in terms of the rankings, the offers, the exposure, the NIL and all this stuff. But Cormani McLean, when he was a his first two years, I mean, he he was as as good as as good as they come. I mean, he picked off nine passes as a sophomore, 10 more as a junior. I mean, that's that's elite ball production. But these kids, I think sometimes they get a big head. And I don't I don't want to say he took a step back as as a senior. I think I was at two of his games and and he made plays. I mean, he has the freakish traits. But for me, the question has always been like, does he love the game of football? I don't know. And I, I remember vividly telling I don't know if it was you this or or some of the other guys involved in the rankings process. Like my number one question with Cormani McLean is what happens after he gets beat deep for a touchdown? Because it's gonna happen, right? And it's a lot different happening in in Polk County when there's 500 people at the game than a Oregon stadium where there's what 60,000 people there. And I, I've always kind of thought Cormani doesn't play with a ton of confidence and if he makes a mistake it hampers him right like he is not a guy that can quickly rebound and I I I don't know if that's football character football IQ just the way he's wired like that has been the question mark for me um and you know that's another line I haven't had in his scouting report must learn how to block out the mistakes and and find some inner confidence once adversity hits um so I'm not surprised by this. I, I was wondering, Cooper, when when Dion made those comments in the in the week leading up to the Oregon game, like what that was that was him trying to light a fire under Cormani, correct? Mario Cristobal always used to say is like everybody listens 
to everything you say. And he was talking about the position of being a head coach and that there's a different way of being able to communicate through your players in different ways. And I think so. You know what's interesting? You go back and you watch that clip of Deion Sanders talking about Cormani McLean. There, there is a pause before he answers that question. To me, it's almost like, I mean, I'm reading between the lines here, but it's a little bit of what is the best way for me to answer this in terms of, hey, do I treat Cormani McLean like every other player on my roster or do I go in a different direction and maybe I have a more politically correct answer that is going to let him down easy? And he didn't do that. And I, I, I respect that. And that's why Cormani McLean is ultimately there at the end of the day. If he can't heed advice from Deion Sanders, say whatever you want about Deion Sanders, the head coach. If he can't heed the advice of a Hall of Fame defensive back that went two ways, played at the highest level, and then also got it done in a completely different sport, I'm not sure what to tell you. That's that's kind of the reality of the situation. So I think this is it's all part of the growth and maturation process. But at the end of the day, this is on Cormani McLean's plate. He is the one that controls the outcome here based on how is he going to approach this process? How is he going to approach being challenged for the first time? He's not comfortable. And he has an opportunity to either lean into that or guess what? The transfer portal's right there. It's easy. Here's the other thing, Andrew. If I'm Alabama, if I'm Michigan, you know what? Been there, done that. You showed me who you were during the recruiting process. I'm not dealing with that. And you're telling me you couldn't cut it at Colorado? Good luck. Find a new home. And we talked about it yesterday, talent and tolerance. That's what it comes down to, right? So he better figure his stuff out. And I know we're talking about an 18-year-old. Guess what? These guys are invested in now, not only from personally in their coaches, but financially as well. And Cormani McLean, I'm going to assume that he's one of those guys too. So he's got a decision to make whether or not he's going to put on his big boy pants, he's going to grow up and he's going to start to grind and he's going to provide for his team. Because I'll tell you this, there's no question about his ability. And I hope he figures it out, man, because he's he's got all the talent in the world. Drew, the other side of the coin here is, I got asked yesterday, how do you evaluate character? Right, when it comes to the rankings. The hard part is, and here's my here's my answer to it, and you push back if you see anything different. Sure, we might have all that information, but how do you evaluate corners two through 10 in the top two, four, seven? Sure, we might have an exposure to Dylan Riola at the Elite 11 or the Under Armour Under Armour Combine, but do we have that same exposure to another player that's in a different part of the country? It's hard to have this boilerplate vantage point of all these players. We're not invested like an NFL organization where it's a billion-dollar industry. So it cuts out one half of the process. 
you can say two players are very similar from the way that they feel and the way they look on tape. But what makes them tick internally is a completely different conversation when you're trying to break down the psychology of the player. Players that have limitations but have intangibles are going to elevate that player. Players that have talent but lack those intangibles, what did we just spend the last 20 minutes talking about? Cormani McLean's not on the field because, hey, you know what? He's not doing what he needs to do nutritionally. He hadn't put on the weight physically. We have concerns about his ability to play the deep part of the field. None of that was said. Football characters, it's a, it's a big deal. But when it comes to the rankings, Andrew, like, I don't know. You go back and I look at, like, I don't want to say our misses, but in the last two years, some spots where you're like, hey, maybe that one didn't work out, that one didn't work out, that one didn't work. I'm not looking at it being like, man, this guy can't get it done on the field. Chris Marshall was on what, like his third school in a year and a half? Same with Keontae Goodwin. I don't know the whole story there, right? But what I'm saying is, objectively, there's nothing that I look back on Chris Marshall or Keontae Goodwin and say, you know what? Talent wasn't there. Maybe maybe we overvalued this trait. And that's the hard part about the rankings process. Not about what we do, but what everybody does in this recruiting industry is you're really navigating it without a major piece of the puzzle. And it's not, a, it's not an excuse. I'm not saying that, but it is a major piece of the puzzle. Well, I think it, I don't want to say it's the future. But I think that could be a clear separator at some point down the line in the rankings process. And how do you get there? That's something I've been marinating on for well over a year. After I got ideas, Coach. I got ideas too. I mean, Jim Nagy, director of the Senior Bowl, right, at the Player Personnel Conference, what, two years ago, he spoke, brought up why it's so important for NFL scouts to get out on the road and not go to games to go to practices, right, and to interview people and inside the facilities and, and, and do your homework, right, because you're getting the full scope. And I've tried to relay that to our our team of analysts around the country. I mean, anytime, anytime you're out, whether it be in a high school, whether it be, you know, at a practice, at a game, at a seven-on-seven tournament, at a camp, I mean, you can pick up li- different little tidbits. Now, are we going to get – all 5,000 prospects in the class of 2024? Absolutely not, right? There is there is no way to do that right now, but it's why I made it a priority to talk with every Elite 11 quarterback for 10 minutes, and it wasn't about, hey, where are you going to school, right? You're trying to just trying to get a, as much as you can, and it's going to be the smallest piece of the puzzle. Um, go back to the last cycle, though, Cooper. King Mac, right? King Mac out of St. Thomas Aquinas, ended up signing with Penn State. I think he has seen his snaps uh, increase every game. Not surprising. King Max, a guy I was at his track meet where he dove across the finish line in the 400-meter dash, right, just to make it to States. Like, you can just tell he's a little bit different of a dude. Again, you can't apply that to everyone out there. But if you you can glean something, you know, I think I think it it, it, it certainly helps. What are your ideas? So I went to the Athletes First, which is a coaching agency, player agency. They had a they had a coaching summit in Miami. And one of their keynote speakers was basically, I want to say, I'm going to have to go back and look. I, I, his official title, I want to say, was like team psychologist, maybe, for the Golden State Warriors. 
And he was also in the private sector as well, but he had a super fascinating background. And he was talking about how they basically developed, I don't want to say an algorithm, but like a questionnaire, right? A list of questions that would help basically quantify behavioral patterns and cognitive ability. So that was one. The other thing is, is like what I don't think people understand about not just NFL scouts, scouts in all major sports leagues, NHL, MLB, NBA. They're really trained psychologists, loosely. I mean, but part of their job is, here's the thing, once you get into a conversation with the director level scout in the NFL, you realize the majority of these guys, they know ball. Like they, they know what it looks like, right? They know what a contributing player at the NFL, and they know the differences between each level of player at the NFL. So once you get into that rarefied air, what is the separator? And you talked about it. You talked about these guys going to practice. I remember from my time as an NFL liaison at Cincinnati, none of the questions had anything to do with any of these guys in terms of ability, work ethic, family background, who they choose to surround themselves with, what are their habits on the weekend, what type of teammate are they, how do they take coaching, what's their maturity level, how are they going to respond in certain hypothetical situations. Well, Coop, I want to bring this up. Like, I think it's even becoming more important at the collegiate level just with the player movement and the transfer portal. I mean, I talk to personnel guys all the time. It's right. Freshmen came in. We're already ready to get rid of them. <laughs> Here's my pushback on that, right? Like I've been in some conversations and maybe because I was younger at the time, been in some conversations about players specifically about player character where we were ready to, to pull the ripcord on a kid that maybe had a blemish on his resume when he was 15, 16 years old. Maybe he told the teacher, F off, whatever it is. I'm not ready to throw that kid away. You know, the other part about this is these coaches are highly compensated for a reason. I talked about this yesterday. A strength coach, his job is not just to get these guys prepared to play from a stamina standpoint on Saturday. Their job has so much more to do with psychology. Their job has so much more to do with putting their arms around these players and really kind of being a sounding board for them. And that's what you're seeing with the support staff as well, whether it's player development, whether it's a strength staff, whether it's guys in auxiliary roles throughout the recruiting department. There's a lot more in terms of the functionality. So. I would go back and I would say, hold on, we're ready to throw this guy off a cliff. And then I would think about myself when I was 16. I was stupid. I said a lot of dumb stuff. I did a lot of things that I regret. And I wasn't perfect, but there's somebody 20, 25 years into their career that is willing to say, you know what? I don't like how he handled that certain situation. And they put themselves in that position where they say, hey, you know what? 
I would never do something like that. Well, think of yourself 30 years ago. And we don't think like that. And the onus is on everybody in that building to say, you know what? Yeah, maybe that individual made a mistake. Maybe that is something that I don't take lightly to. But what I've seen in my in-depth experience with this player or this individual is that we can get this guy right. There is potential there that this guy will buy into what we do. And the other thing is you have to know and understand your culture. Is your culture strong enough to take in some certain type of individuals? And are those individuals going to mold to that culture? Or are they going to be a net negative at the end of the day? And what I found late in my career is that coaches typically, when inconvenienced by a player's work habits, attitude, so on and so forth, they were quick to pull that card and say, you know what? This guy doesn't fit us. And I thought that was more coaches not willing to challenge themselves, go the extra distance to invest in a player or an individual to say, you know what? This guy makes us better. It might require more of my time to hold his hand, to get him right, to do the things that he needs to do to be a functioning human being. But he makes us better at the end of the day. And honestly, Andrew, I think there are only a handful of programs that truly understand that. And the difficult part about fit, it's important, but you walk a super thin line. All of a sudden, now everybody doesn't fit. Only a handful of guys fit. And then you look at these players and they do everything right. They go to class. They're on time. They're respectful. They were raised the right way. That's great. But when you look up at the scoreboard and you're down by 21 points to Ohio State in the Rose Bowl, it's going to make you start thinking a little bit differently, right? So I get it. I get both sides of the spectrum, but it, it's, a, it's a balance and a tightrope that you have to walk daily when it comes to talent acquisition. Well, coaches always think they can fix the issues. That's why guys continue to get chance after chance after chance after chance. Last thing I'll say on this. NFL is, you can say, completely or not invested at all, depending on the team. The, the character evaluation and the investment on the psychological side of the player in the NFL level, you want to know the biggest difference in scouting between the NFL and college? That's it. I've been at a lot of programs. Just does not matter. Really doesn't. Unless you did something that the university can't live with, it really doesn't matter. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. 
Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Team of the week, Drew, are we ready? Yeah, bud. You want the tee box? Well, we already talked about Colorado, right? You touch on them in the in the open. My team of the week, Oregon. And I think it's going to be, I guess what I want to bring up Oregon is Dan Lanning, sure. They put it on him. Outgained the Buffalo. Buffalo's 522 to 199 in, in total yardage. 42 to 0 lead in the third quarter had more points than yard Colorado had yards at at half talked about the fake punt we all saw the pregame speech we saw the halftime sideline interaction with the reporter about about wanting more um, but Oregon is my team of the week because I don't think Oregon gets enough credit for what they have done in the transfer portal under Dan Lanning and when we talk about kings of the transfer portal I think Prime is in that conversation. I would think Mike Norvell is in that conversation. I mean, there's a ton of different guys, but in that win, right? Anai Cornelius, Oregon's starting left tackle, didn't give up a pressure and 40 pass blocking snaps, 83.3 pass blocking grade from PFF. I think he is one of PFF's highest ranked tackles right now at the what quarter or three quarter mark of the of the season. Guy they got from Rhode Island, Jordan Birch, two sacks on 18 pass rushing snaps. He came from South Carolina. Kyrie Jackson in the secondary, targeted six times in coverage, surrendered just two yards and no first downs. Treshawn Holden from Alabama, Tez Johnson from Troy, eight catches for 100 yards. I just came out of that game, and it could have been any opponent across the field. Just impressed with what Dan Lanning has done in a short amount of time in terms of flipping that roster. And I know it was left in a good place with Mario Cristobal. He is winning games with Mario Cristobal's recruits. But to me, Colorado, and we'll see how the rest of the season goes, but they look like a college football playoff contender, right? And that roster is starting to look like a a, a real roster. It is good in the trenches. And I think Dan Lanning, we've, we've touched on it every time we talk about Colorado getting a commit. They're getting these SEC type of dudes. I think we saw that in in, in full focus on on Saturday. Um, so they're my team of the week, and it, it's not really just because they stomped on Colorado. It's just we saw the transfer portal acquisitions. We saw some of that 2023 recruiting class, and I'm excited to see what Colorado, or excuse me, what Oregon looks like a few years from now because that's you you look at the commit list we know what they're doing like this isn't this isn't going to stop anytime soon josh Connerly starting at left tackle right yep he started redshirt freshman nice to see that um so cornelius was at, at right tackle that's that's my that's a Patagon no you no you're good um how about the other freshman man tatum tuyote right mateo uwa young concrete getting some run he didn't get a sack like I thought he would. They have a beautiful blend of building organically through high school and then supplementing their roster via the transfer portal. They've done an unbelievable job there. About Bucky Irving, man. I don't know how much you watch of him. That guy's pretty special. He's a yards after contact machine. Oregon's super impressive. I'll tell you what, 
Oregon UW. That's going to be a game. Washington is just, Drew, I don't know how much you've watched it in this year. Their passing attack is, I mean, they just attack, attack, attack. Let me ask you this. We saw Penix at the Elite 11 Finals. Like, are you surprised that he's doing this? Based off of last year? No. No. And then, you know, you consider those receivers, Adunze, McMillan, Polk, Jeremy Bernard, all those guys are pretty legit. I mean, it sets up for him. He, he's he's playing in a perfect offense. In terms of what we saw on air versus Michael Penix, the player, I think Michael Penix is a he's a when the lights come on, that's his game. He's a he's a thrower in pads. A lot of guys that's are right. throw, throwers outside of pads. That's right. He uh, he's a gamer, man. He's a perfect fit for what they want to do. They've just a, they've been annihilating teams. I think Oregon. You look at Oregon, Kyrie Jackson on the outside, like you mentioned, Dante Manning, right, former five star on the opposite side. Like they got some length, they got some athletes. They're going to be a team that I'm pretty interested to see match up with and those then, dynamic receivers. And then, you know, in terms of UW's offensive line, they got, you know, Fatanu, Rosengarten, Kalepo. I like that matchup up front. So I can't wait for that game. All right, Oregon's my team of the week, right? And it's about the transfer portal and what they've been able to do. Um, and I think the arrow only continues to point up. Here's the thing, Drew. When's the last time where you're like, okay, I have two games on at the same time. I can only watch one. One of these is game B. One of these is game A. And I can't remember the last time I was focused on a Pac-12 game over Alabama Ole Miss. <laughs> I know. That that game just did not feel relevant. First time in a long time. It was like, well, let me check in, see what's happening over there. Yeah. So you're saying back to this Oregon. Alabama Ole Miss got the the commercial treatment. Commercial break. They did? Yeah. Same, I mean, same same in my household. Yeah. How about Jake Dickert, Lee Corso getting into it? Right? You got that. And then you got Ryan Day and Lou Holtz. Just kind of a weird energy this past weekend week four ryan leaf got into it after they took exception to the wazoo being called out like that what what did lee corso say the game that nobody watches yeah i think he was misquoted though i mean he's 88 years old i did you know not what? have eyes on I, I, I did not have uh, eyes on this game so, so explain to us why well i didn't have i didn't have eyes on this game either right so let me let me be very um forthcoming about that that being said wazoo is a team that is just kind of flown under the radar and i think oregon state was the same and now that i say that i i kind of understand why jake dickard is probably like i'm it, drew these are the two they're the stepbrothers they're the pack two they even had the graphic after with the cougar on the on top of the top bunk and the beaver on the bottom bunk you know with the with a, a playful a playful uh, jar at Step Brothers, a jar. I don't know what you would call that, but you get my point. Yeah. So this game kind of felt like, all right, we got two outcasts that are just both undefeated going into this game. Nobody's really talking about it. Wazoo comes out on top. Cam Ward, man. Talk about a guy that nobody talks about. 28 of 34, 404 yards, four touchdowns. 
that's a game that I'm fired up for. Excuse me, a game to go back that I'm uh, to watch that I'm fired up for. But that's a that's a big win for Wazoo. I'm not going to get into the details of it because I did not watch the game. I will admit that. But on the surface, looking at it, that's a big game for a program right now that just seems to be like it would be so easy with everything going on from a big picture standpoint if you're Washington State to say play the victim card, right? And here they are, ranked four and zero, doing what really nobody expected. All right, freshman of the week, Luke has for you. Yeah, man. <laughs> Arkansas tight end, uh, six catches, one hundred and sixteen yards, two touchdowns. If you go into the PFF Ultimate, all his key plays are like in the fourth quarter. Uh, I mean, he was the reason why Arkansas, you know, gave. LSU really the scare. I mean, a ton of other people contributed, but man, he was kind of the X factor. For me, I go back to the Under Armour All-America game and you see Luke Haas in person and you're like, all right, is this guy 6'3"? Because I don't, they list him at 6'3". I don't think he's 6'3". I think he's like 6'2". And he is just a natural pass catcher. Arkansas using him kind of detached. I think there was some snaps where he was in line, but man, he slips out of the backfield. He picks up yardage after the catch. I remember Gabe Brooks on our rankings team. He kind of stood on the table for Luke. Like this guy needs to be in the top two, four, seven finished as the number 12 tight end for us. Number 197 overall prospect. I think we highlighted Luke on the SEC freshman impact podcast. I mean, Dan Enos is now the offensive coordinator there. Loves to get the tight ends involved, but uh, impressive performance. He's like he's like this year's Mason Taylor is is my uh, is my comp there. It's a good reminder of. I was thinking about this. I was in church the other day. I was thinking about this. I probably shouldn't have been thinking about it, but I was thinking about tight ends. One of those positions you can you better be careful overvaluing the athlete because there are a lot of good football players at the tight end position that aren't great athletes but just know how to play the position. Luke has is a tweener. He didn't run exceptionally well. You look at the combine footage. It doesn't exactly blow you away. You put those pads on, he's a vacuum cleaner with a Velcro. <laughs> Catches everything that's thrown at him. Understands space. Understands how to get open. He's got an excellent, excellent feel for the position and for the game. And that was the thing. It was a broken play, right? KJ Jefferson gets behind the defense. That's one of the mo- more explosive plays that they had in that game. Safety net, right? So good to see him doing his thing. Drew, I'm going to go with one of your honorable mentions here. I'm going to go with Jalen Hale. He got 19 snaps. Another guy that was knocking on the door. was in the conversation for five-star status. Elite traits at Alabama. Alabama gets a big win over Ole Miss, 24-10. to 10. He's kind of stepping up now in that rotation. You're starting to kind of increase his workload a little bit. Only caught two passes, but he caught them for 63 yards. One of them was a touchdown for 33 yards out in the third quarter. Big one there. I like Jalen Hale a lot, man. Jalen Hale, Jontae Cook were like two guys outside of the top 32 that I was like, okay. Yeah. Like if you those know, guys, these, if, these guys could hit. Yeah. If these guys are outside the top 32, you got to feel good about the guys inside. I, I looked up when he caught that pass and I didn't realize it was Jalen Hale. I'm like, oh, okay. There he is. And maybe maybe because because there wasn't a ton of like preseason buzz about him, but to me, from an outsider looking in, like they got to get him more and more involved. I thought it was 
encouraging the two catches. And, and like you said, traits, I mean, he is what, 6'3 plus, wiry, can run like a deer. I think Alabama needs needs to to embrace him stepping up. I mean, he's more what they used to have, right? That's kind of exactly what I thought as well. When you think of like Ruggs and Judy and maybe not so much Devontae Smith, but you think of these longer guys that can run. And then you look out there and it's like Isaiah Bond, Kobe Prentice, Kendrick Law. Like they're a little undersized. They're dynamic, but they don't have that guy. He could be that guy. Right. And I like Isaiah Bond for what he is. Right. You get my point, though. They used to no, trot out three of those guys at a time that right, looked like Jalen right. Hill. Exactly. You know? So so when you see him catching the touchdown pass, you're like, oh, that's what that's what it used to look like. Right. <laughs> Other guys, Torian York, Chris Hummer's true freshman of the week, 11 tackles, two tackles for loss, had half a sack. Hey, man, big win over Auburn, 27-10. to 10. Late flip from Baylor. Had a grade of a overall 86 from us. Duke was also involved. His name came up a couple weeks ago. I think yeah. at least on the group chat, kind of talked about him. So he's been a nice find for AM. Spencer Fano starting to get it going. Uh, 80 plus overall grade from PFF. Utah, hard fought victory over UCLA. They win that one 14 to 7. Only allowed one pressure on two blocking snaps at left tackle. Big win for Utah getting that one done. Uh, and then Drew, help me out with the name here. Zachary Tobe. Cooper, have you ever have you ever been watching a game on on Saturday and you're like, damn it, I totally messed up on the grade? Because <laughs> it, 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 it happens all the time, right? I feel like it only happens with you when it comes to Illinois. <laughs> I know. I know. Gabe Yakis, right? <laughs> yeah, Gabe Yakis, who I liked. And then um, so yeah, what one of the screens in the household was pretty locked in on on the FAU Illinois game. Right. And uh, Zachary Tobe had him as an 85, which is a mid three star grade. He was awesome. I don't know how much he's been playing this season, but Illinois rolled him out at corner. He is 6'2, and he had an 87 overall grade from PFF, played 53 snaps, targeted six times in coverage, and he gave up just one catch for four yards. Uh, they had him matched up with Lejante Wester, who is, I mean, we are in the weeds talking about Lejante Wester, FAU's wide receiver, probably going to play in the NFL, and he currently leads the NCAA in receptions with 43 this season. They manned him up. Zachary Tobe was awesome, and I'm like, this kid's going to get drafted, and I made a major mistake not valuing his length. So a lot of that on the Illinois defense. It's a uh, it's a good reminder to uh, as we audit these recruiting classes to covet traits. And I was like, God damn it! As soon as I saw him making plays out there. If you want to know why Andrew was watching that game, it's because he went to Florida Atlantic. He's not some sicko. I promise. Um, we FAU should have won the game. Okay, you zoned in, baby. You're three zoned in. three three red zone trips produced zero points. Drew, what's your process when you see a guy from your region? Because I have mine. You say, okay, like this cat. You see him playing, and immediately you're like, okay. Like, do you go back over your notes? Do you look at specs? Like, what what is, you know, kind of like revisionist history, I guess, is what I'm saying. I don't know about you, but I literally sit on the couch, and it'll be either be my laptop or phone. 
and guys will make plays and catch my eyes. And what I instantly do, just go to the 24-7 sports profile. And then it's like, all right, like maybe maybe I want to investigate a little bit more. Like, hey, did this guy have track times? Like, what, what, what's the story here? Who else recruited him? I do that all day. I'll do it for NFL games too. I'm like, what's this guy's story? It's the best way to do it. You know, it was funny, like when Puka Nakua came up and people were like, you know, like you brought up like, hey, did you have Puka at UW? And then, you know, our desk ran with the story on that. And you go back and it's like, man, I remember Puka was an athlete. But you go back and you start looking at everything and it's like none of this surprise. He was a really good football player. But I mean, he had state records in receptions, receiving yards, second team all state as a basketball player at a 23 foot plus long jump. I mean, he was, everything was there, right? I guess that was my point. I think the one thing is you don't want to go back and be like, all right, here's this guy, 6'2", ran 10'7", and I had him as a oh, whatever I had him at, right? Tobe, Tobe was not a 10'7 guy. It's funny you bring up Puka because the 24-7 Sports Instagram account put, put a graphic out about him, and like the first comment under there is like, wow, this guy's a four-star prospect. I would have never guessed that. He was like, Top two four seven, um, and you know, talking rookie wide receivers like Tank Dell is the new hot day hot name for the uh, the Houston Texans out of Houston. He's a kid from Daytona Beach, Mainland, and uh, really, yeah. Before my time, I uh, I had someone explain to me how it all happened. He almost ended up at USF to play for Charlie Strong. But the new staff pulled the trigger, ended up at like a D2 to junior college to Houston. Just a fascinating story. But man, you go back and you pop on his huddle, and it's like, okay, I can I can see it for sure. And I had a receivers coach I trust who was involved with Tank Dell during the recruiting process. And he's like, man, his ability to cut at full speed. That's what you look for. Everyone wants to talk about track times this, track times that. Like Tank Dell's a guy that at the top of his route does not have to change speeds but can change directions, and, and that's kind of stuck with me. Our guy, Jim Nagy, he, he's smart dude in a lot of different ways. Incredible and talent, talent evaluator, but a smart, very smart person on a lot of different levels. They loved Tank Dell at the Senior Bowl. They're very smart about stamping their guys early over there i think they kind of see it before everybody else does and it's good marketing all right drew let's get into a couple of recruiting headlines i'm going to skip around here so if i if i miss some things uh please oblige penn state big win wide out they win 31 nothing feel free to also add anything on there that i do skip over some commitments from penn state 2025 tyke hayes number 35 running back out of aliquippa pennsylvania you also get DJ McClary, number 16 linebacker, top 150 prospect in the 2025 cycle as well. Uh, Penn State, number eight in the 2025 cycle. Right? The freak of all freaks was there too. Kendra Harrison, if you don't know about him, two-sport two athlete, number one tight end in the class of 2026. Also a top 50 basketball prospect in that class. But Drew, his Ty Key Hayes, man. I kind of turned on the tape. I like this kid. You know, we have a three-star grade on him, 2025, still early. But you kind of look at Penn State, what they do at the running back position. Uh, that That's kind of my thought as well. It's like, all right, makes a ton of sense. 
I like that one. And then, they, you know, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. They, they kind of just pick and choose who they want, who fits. Right. And every one of them seems to be like, oh, I can see the fit there. What do you think of the uh, DJ McClary kid? Going to be honest, have not have not buzzed him. They also just did get top 247 athlete Brady O'Hara, uh, 2025. Two-way player, like DN, tight end. I think Penn State's going to use him as a tight end. More familiar with him, but I, to me, like the, the whiteout game is just so cool. I mean, I went two years ago and like wasn't even much of a contest, but that was on the TV screen. I, the, the lighting at Penn State is like different, and I think I've figured it out. The lights are like lower. Have it's you like that? you're playing. It's like you're at a game watching the L.A. Lakers. Yeah. You know, because if you go to a Lakers game or you watch a Lakers game, the only thing you can really see is the court. You can't can't see the stands. And I've always liked it. It has like a theatrical feel to it. Correct. The other thing, we played we played uh, when I was in Michigan. It was a wideout game at Penn State. I would say, Andrew, I think that's a – it hurts me to say this as somebody that grew up in Louisiana and went to LSU. Penn State – has I think a top two environment in college football. It's up there for me. I mean, it was like nothing I had ever experienced. The other thing is, whoever's controlling the music in there, I mean, he's got the pulse. He does. He's got he's got these 18 to 21 year olds on a string. It feels like you're at like some rendition of like a Kygo concert. Kind of nuts. All right, Drew, other uh, notable nuggets here. Jeremiah Smith, just doing what he's doing. Number two player overall, number one receiver in 2024. 31-28. Shamanad Madonna went over Miami Central. That one nationally televised game. Drew, Jeremiah Smith cracked our uh, top five plays here on the 24-7 sports recruiting show. And I had to say on there, I'm like, he just... We're kind of spoiled with him. He kind of does this every week. Are you learning anything new about him, Andrew? Like when you watch him, is there anything like, oh, I hadn't seen that before? Or is it just like, all right, this guy is kind of spoiling us a little bit with what we get to see every weekend? I just think he's <laughs> he's got to be one of the safest prospects in this cycle, if not the safest prospect. I mean – he was matched up with Lewayne McCoy, who is committed to Florida State, who I thought played a heck of a game on Thursday night going both ways before he got he got some cramps. And everyone saw the one-hander. Did that make SportsCenter's top 10? I, I, it should have. I'm, I'm glad it made the top five plays for, for 24-7 sports. Um, it just seems like every time you, you start to doubt him, he does something. Not doubt him, but but wonder. And then he'll just make a play. Um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, could he finish number one? There's only been three wide receivers that ever selected number one in the NFL draft. The last guy to do it was Keyshawn Johnson back in 1996 when the New York Jets selected him. Why is that important? Obviously, the NFL draft steers as, as the compass for our rankings, but he is certainly making a case here uh, following – two really strong performances against really, really talented teams. I mean, the Virgin Catholic game, what was it, 230 yards receiving? 
Now he comes out 100 yards against Miami Central, who has a lightning quick secondary. I mean, all those kids can run. So I don't know, man. And then how about he visits Florida? They they face Charlotte. And did you see the the fans in the student section that had like a banner for him? I thought that was uh, that was that was cool. That wasn't a great game for Florida, was it? Was it twenty two to nine? I saw some fans at the end of it. Heard some Sunbelt Billies being thrown out there. Well, I watched some of it. I watched the opening drive, and then when it was close, I had to find the SEC Network Plus. Um, my takeaway, I think Charlotte's like pretty good up front. Like When you look at the two deep, it's a bunch of Power 5 transfers in the trenches. Uh, I just don't think Florida's equipped to bury teams at the moment like they're gonna they can win games but i like they can't score 50 points all right drew how about this one kind of flew under the radar a little bit top two four seven receiver number 24 receiver it's hard to even fathom that but once you start to think that there are seven receivers that are in the top 32 so seven five-star receivers when you're the 24th you're not that far down, right? So Nicar decommits from Georgia, from Georgia. Miami, FSU, both involved here. Drew, he's Nicar is a stud. I've had a lot of people on Twitter like hit me up and be like, Have you guys seen what he's done as a senior? A lot of lot of love for Nicar. Have you I'm assuming you've buzzed him? <laughs> not yet. <laughs> oh. I mean his his senior tape's awesome. It, it it really is. And he played in a ESPN game on Friday night, Colquitt County. Um, I think with Nicar, there is no verified information out there anywhere. He has never tested. He's never been measured. But, dude, I, I really don't care because the tape is good. He is, he is football fast. And I'm shooting from the hip there. But after I... I kind of I wrote him up yesterday. I think he's he's similar in some ways to like Jordan Jordan Addison in terms of inside outside capabilities. Dynamic route runner, you know, can get deep. There's one there's one clip Cooper text me when you see it. They they throw like a tunnel screen to him. I mean, it's a low ball, he just snags it with one hand and races 30 yards for a touchdown. He's impressive. He's impressive. And like you said, Florida State, Miami involved. I think Steve Wilfong reported that. I think Nicar is one we'll be talking about all the way up to the early signing period. He kind of reminds me off of first glance, Troy Franklin. That was at Menlo Atherton. We were on him at Washington. Got him in the boat at Oregon under Mario Cristobal. And now he's he's there doing his thing, balling out with the Ducks. Straight line guys, in terms of the acceleration, can get to top speed quickly. Super dynamic dude. All right, Drew. Oregon, good plug. Oh, they got a how, commitment. Yeah, go how, ahead. How, how tall is Troy Franklin? He's he's a bit taller. I he? heard him. I I heard on the broadcast they said six three. Ain't no way. I thought he was like 6'2", tops. Well, I said there's no verified out there. I do have some numbers on Nikar. He's he's closer to 5'11". Okay. 
there you that's, go. That's why I boxed it like identical measurables to Jordan Addison. That's that's all. He was long, doesn't he? No, he's doesn't he feel long. That's the thing. These guys are five eleven, but they look much longer. I think they're high hipped. That's like Mylon Graham, same deal. Except he's what six one. Yeah, they're yeah. just they're just built that way. High hip, long legs, natural bounce as they move down the field, and they're explosive. All right, last one here, Drew. Oregon got a commitment. Twenty twenty six. It's your expertise here, Tony Cumberland. I know this is a dude you like. Number two defensive lineman, number eleven overall player. So big, big get for Oregon. What do you like about him? Well, when we did the 2026 rankings, we thought he was if one of the best, if not the best, just protection denters in the middle. I mean, there's we haven't seen him. I think there were some questions about him when I kind of was like, need to rank this guy high, need to rank this guy high. And, and there was some pushback. I think there is still some pushback. So when that one came across the timeline on Saturday, I was uh, I was smiling that you know, he picked Oregon because I, I, I think he can play and we'll see how it shakes out. Still two and a half years to go for that, for that class. But I mentioned it with Dan Lanning arrow pointing up, like where the roster is, we know what they're going to do in the portal, but they're also building it through the high school ranks. And I think Tony Cumberland is, is certainly a notable addition. I mean, obviously we have him ranked high, but um, you know, them going into Arizona, is kind of a big deal. I like I, I I like their blue their blueprint right now. They seem to me like they kind of got it figured out. How they're handling West Coast recruiting, sprinkling in some flavor nationally, and then they're a national program in, in terms of the transfer portal, as far as I'm concerned. So, Drew, any final thoughts before we get out of here? That's all I got, man. I you said you didn't see much of the the Notre Dame. Ohio State game? I didn't. But what do you think about Clemson, Florida State? Anything there? Man, I I mean, if Clemson's going to make the ACC title game, they need Duke and Florida State to each lose three ACC games. Do you think Dabo makes some changes or or what? I feel In like we have a like philosophy or coaching yeah. changes? Philosophy, roster philosophy. I don't get the sense that he will, you yeah. know? I mean, I think he's – I do I, I do believe him when he says he's open to it. I just think their standard is so high for what they want in that building, you know? And um, and you think about it, right? Think about their think about their process in high school. Like you and I are talking about like, oh, Aaron Nolan doesn't even have an offer yet from Clemson, and he won't get one until he goes to Clemson and check that box. Now, imagine that via the transfer portal where it is completely transactional. Yeah, good luck. I don't I don't know how those two mix, you know, in my opinion. So we'll see. Well, yeah, I mean Cade Klubnik, I like some things that he did. Obviously there was a catastrophic turnover and uh you know made made some mistakes, but I'm not I'm not selling stock on Cade just yet. Drew, I think every Tuesday we should pick a national champion and see if it changes. Cause I, I have no idea. You are, you st- are, are you still on LSU after a, uh... I tell you what, that took the wind out of my sails. That was very discouraging. Um, yeah, I'm not completely like selling stock there. Right. 
I think what they have is in front of them, but I think they they got a they got a long long way to go. They got to show some improvement fast. That secondary is very vulnerable, to put it politely. I'm a I'm bullish on Penn State. Just kind of a complete team, huh? Yeah, the defense, man. Okay. They got so many guys on defense. Like I was going through the the, the snap breakdown, and it's like they play a lot of guys. And it's like a lot of good guys or guys that we liked as recruits. How would you rank these three teams right now? Oregon, Washington, USC. Oregon, Washington, USC in that order. I maybe flip one and two, but I think it's a coin flip. But I'm with you. I think the I think USC is at the bottom of that pack. You know, so we'll see what happens there. All right, Julian, that's all I got, brother. Let's bring it home. All right, guys, you are listening to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the show. Also, tomorrow, Mailbag Wednesday. If you have any questions, that is the place to do it. Make sure to leave a rating. Also, leave a review if you have a question for Andrew or myself. Make sure to uh, make sure to ask it right there. Guys, we're excited about the growth of the show. We appreciate you hanging out with us as always so for Andrew Ivins producer Lance Glenn I'm Cooper Patekna we'll see you tomorrow Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen are you still listening? good take a deep breath you needed a break this Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.